Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and this week I'm joined by good friend of the podcast, Jay Skipworth from uh, Filmstrip Pod. Um, Jay, how you doing? It's, it's good to hear from you. Mike, I'm doing well, man. Thanks again for having me on, and uh, really excited to talk about our movie this week. Yeah, it's this is going to be, I mean, I always have a fun time when I'm either on your show or you're on mine, or we just get together and talk movies, but this will be definitely a more interesting episode. Um, but before we get into that, uh, I'd be really surprised if anyone listening doesn't know who you are, what your podcast is about. So before we get into uh, our discussion this week, why don't you tell us a little bit about your show and what you got going on? Yeah, Filmstrip Podcast. We've been around now for over 10 years. Um, so we have almost 300 reviews in the bag at this point. If you go to filmstrippodcast.com, that'll take you to our anchor.fm distribution site where you can find our podcast on all your major podcast providers, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, Apple, all of them there. And uh, me and a, uh, and a varied crew of folks review pretty much everything, man. Like if you go through our archives, we've done comedies, We've done rom-coms, we've done animated movies, we've done a documentary, we've done a lot of horror movies, sci-fi, action, you name it. We, you know, we used to do a lot of series and stuff. So if you're into that, like, you know, we've done a lot of the big horror series, Halloween, Friday 13th, Night Run Elm Street, Hellraiser, that kind of stuff. Now, the last year or so, we've really just kind of gotten into a grab bag of stuff. So sometimes we'll, we'll kind of throw three or four movies together that have a loose connection or we'll just do a bunch of random stuff. So it's, um, it's a lot of fun. I have great co-hosts and we have a lot of fun with it. If you follow us on Twitter at Filmstrip Pod or on Instagram, uh, Facebook, same difference. Uh, find us on all those. Um, if you follow us on Twitter, you'll find our link tree so you can go to our Letterboxd page now where we've got every movie that we've ever reviewed. Ron, uh, our, one of our co-hosts, has put that together for us and it's got links to each of the shows if you want to listen to those. And uh, I even took the plunge recently and after all these years, finally started a Letterboxd page where I'd Depending on when this comes out, I, through the month of December, I'm going to be doing reviews of the entire James Bond franchise. So that's kind of my, my latest thing. But yeah, the, the, thanks for the, let me do the plug and thanks for having us on again. Oh yeah, of course. And I'll put everything in the, uh, the show notes. Uh, we'll plug at the end as well. But uh, yeah, I just think your show is a high quality, like love the content, love the uh, conversation. So I feel like everyone should be listening to Film Trip. Uh, pod as well as you so but with you. that we'll get into uh our discussion this week so for for everyone who who read the title we're we are going to be talking about el camino a breaking bad story and why i think this is going to be pretty interesting is that i we're, we're definitely going to have to talk a little bit about breaking bad before we get into el camino and i think touch a little bit on better call saul because i feel like this movie is made because of the love that people in the affinity have towards Breaking Bad. And I, I want to discuss Breaking Bad a little bit. I feel like this kind of stemmed because last time, I don't know if it was when we talked about La La Land on your show or when we talked about Inception, we were just talking about off air. Oh, what are like, just trying to brainstorm things uh, to talk about and for future episodes and television came up. And mm -hmm. I thought immediately that, that piqued my interest because I haven't talked about TV. Uh, I, I love TV shows. I think we're in such a golden era of, uh, of narrative TV shows now, like primetime and uh, like subscription, like HBO, Showtime, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, 
And so I said, like, oh, like, you know, Breaking Bad being a quote-unquote, like, prime time available to everyone on AMC, that would be fun. But I was like, how do we talk about that? It's kind of a lot to ask someone to watch five seasons of a show, and then do we talk about per season? Do we talk about it as just one collective body of work? And then I thought, oh, wait, they made El Camino, so we could talk about El Camino and then kind of touch upon Breaking Bad before we talk about the movie and just kind of do general thoughts and leading up to this, the release of this movie and like the, the impact the show has had on this movie. But the first thing that I wanted to talk about was really what Breaking Bad means in like popular media and television and specifically like, what does it mean to you, Jay? Because for me, it's my favorite show of all time. And, and yeah, so I just want to know like, what does Breaking Bad mean to you? And how did you first hear about it? When did you start watching it? How did you start watching it? Because I feel like we might have very different reactions. And I think how people watch the show contributes to this ultimate success of the show. But uh, yeah, I'll just start off with like, what does Breaking Bad mean to you? It's, it's definitely in like, you know, my top five shows of all time. Uh, it's, not, it's not my favorite thing of all time. My favorite show of all time, there are hundreds of episodes of me talking about it. Um, it's called The Art of Slaying, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast is where I really started in podcasting. So people go listen to that. But I got into Breaking Bad, man, uh, right after the first season had started because podcast co-host Nick, uh, is was a big fan and kept telling me about it and said, dude, you need to watch this. And I had seen the advertisements for it on AMC and I thought, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll make time to check that out. And so I, I just kind of caught up online through um, nefarious sources, I will say now, uh, to sort of catch the first few episodes. And I, I was hooked. And so I just started watching it every week and it became appointment television for me. Uh, it was definitely something that I thought jumped on the anti-hero train, it was like The Shield and Sons of Anarchy had paved the way for it and The Wire, things like that. And But I thought it was smart, too, and had its own world. And I thought it was just brilliant to be set in New Mexico. because, And I know now that that was kind of a you know, random thing that it was a, really a money production reason is why they ended up shooting it all there. But I thought it was great because you, you don't think about New Mexico as like you know, the place to you do this story about this guy who absolutely goes completely the wrong way. And I, I was fascinated by it. Um, I mean, I knew Brian Cranston's work from a lot of his television work and the few movies he had done. Um, I didn't know Aaron Paul from anything. I knew Dean Norris's face cause he's been in so many movies that I know, but I just fell in love with him in this, this show. And uh, really those three uh, characters were the things that really, I don't know, submitted me for it. So I was in for the long haul, man. I watched it. I was talking with friends about it online and offline, texting back and forth when the you know the last season was going. And, I, you know, just, just loved it. I, I thought it was really a smart show and was one that didn't pull punches and wasn't afraid to kind of go there into the dark hole that it needed to go into. And more or less, I, I hold it up there as one of the better series endings that I've ever seen. Because – Man, it's so hard to end a, a chronology and an ongoing series and end it the right way and stick the landing. Because, I mean, really, the, the joy is in the journey. And when you finally get to the end, it's like, how do we do it? And I, and I thought Vince Gilligan and his team did a good job of wrapping all that up. Yeah, exactly. And I guess for me, like, real quick, Breaking Bad. So I think I, I – this is just conjecture. I don't know if this is actually how it happened. But I feel like a lot of people got into the show because of Netflix and streaming services. Mm -hmm. And I started watching the show. Like, so I heard about it. I was, like, 13, 14 when the show came out. 
And, you know, I heard about it, like, rumblings through it. I, for one, got into The Walking Dead initially when that first came out. And I remember hearing, like, oh, Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad. And that was, like, season three, season four. And then um, it went throughout high school. And I fell out of The Walking Dead. But when I was a senior in high school, that's when the show was ending. And as far as I can remember, like, I I don't know Netflix without Breaking Bad. It's almost like The Office Mm. on Netflix. It's just, like, it's always been there now. The Office might not be on Netflix much longer at the time of this recording, <laughs> but Breaking Bad, I, I just have always remembered it being on there, and that's how I consumed it, was just binging it in like a month and a half and, in high school. And I remember vividly, like having such visual, uh, well, visual reactions, but like vivid reactions to things that I was seeing on screen. And and now that I'm, I, I told you off air, I'm actually rewatching the show, not, uh, not any not for any particular reason other than I just really enjoy the show and I'm having new appreciations for the show but I remember in high school really having a strong reaction to it and it's fun watching it now and seeing my reaction and how I appreciate the show in different ways so Mm -hmm. I mean for instance uh, you know obviously really enjoying the character of Walter White his story but this time around really appreciating the nuances of Jesse Pinkman and especially Skylar White I really love how uh, Vince Gilligan writes Skyler because initially in high school I hated her character. I think everybody I, hated her, man. Which yeah. <laughs> now I'm seeing, I'm like, no, she's written in such a very unique and interesting way, and I really love the way Anna Gunn portrays her, and I I just love hearing the uh, just just listening to how like how her her character progression through the show, and I think it's even better because uh, we'll talk a little bit, uh, only a little bit about Better Call Saul, but there's some continuing themes that Vince Gilligan has with uh, the main female um, secondary character to our main protagonist. But I, I really enjoy the nuances of the show, and uh, and I'm just I'm just having such a blast revisiting it. But um. And another thing I mentioned about like binging this on uh, Netflix when I was in high school and now, one, I feel like this was the pivotal moment of how I pretty much consume television in today's (laughs) world. Uh, Yeah. Because I, for one, like I would much prefer wait for a series to be over and then binge it in like two weeks. Uh, (laughs) And I just don't like waiting. I, I think the last show that I actually watched week to week was Twin Peaks The Return. And I that was definitely an interesting show to watch week to week, but most show, like better call Saul, for example, I've waited like four years for this, for at least four seasons to be available on Netflix. And I binged it all in like a month and haven't, I've been waiting for season five to come out. And I know season six has been delayed filming because of COVID-19 pandemic, but um, yeah, I absolutely love breaking bad. I, there's just so many different levels to it. And like, for instance, this, this instance uh, or this iteration of rewatching, I'm, I'm picking up more on like the Western tropes of the show. It's like a postmodern Western, which this idea will definitely return in El Camino. Um, And I guess with, with that too, I also want to touch a little bit on uh, better call Saul highly recommend the show. Uh, I've, like I said, I've only watched up to what Netflix will allow season four and it's, it's a good continuation of, which everyone loved in Breaking Bad, but I feel like in my opinion, you have to watch Breaking Bad as a precursor. And I'm not really going to get into the spoilers of the show, but I feel like there's a lot of callbacks to uh, Breaking Bad that they 
it's it's really cool payoffs in this show. But like if you watch Breaking Bad or if you watch Better Call Saul on its own, didn't watch Breaking Bad, there would be some reveals that I feel like there the the filmmakers know you've watched Breaking Bad. So first time you see Los Polos Hermanos in in Better Call Saul, there's no cinematic reveal to this. It just kind of or actually there is a big cinematic reveal of like, oh, it's Los Polos Hermanos. But if you've never watched Breaking Bad, that reveal means absolutely nothing to you. You're like, oh, it's it's yeah. like a KFC of this universe. But if you've watched Breaking Bad, you're like, oh, Gus uh, Fring is coming and in, is becoming involved in this. How is like the cartel being involved? And with Better Call Saul, there's like two separate storylines in that it's fine by me. I actually think it makes the show a little bit more unique. But if you come into the show without Breaking Bad, there's there's no I guess there's nothing holding you to that. So like the two storylines are Jimmy McGill slash Saul Goodman. So Jimmy McGill becoming Saul Goodman and then Mike Emmer or Emmer Trout working and, and kind of developing with Gus Fring, the Los yeah. Polos Romanos, like a, a criminal undermine or like a underworld or like the Kingpin using the front, the like the, franchise as a front and they're so loosely connected but it's fine but it, it's just I feel like it can be a little bit disjointed for someone that isn't familiar with the story but other than that I, I really do enjoy Better Call Saul and highly recommend it and there's this idea there's two continuing themes that I see in Vince Gilligan's work between the two and I guess El Camino a little bit as well and the first one is this idea of dual personalities in these in the protagonists of the characters and it's especially using totems to signify like this gradual change of character so in breaking bad it's the bowler hat representing heisenberg like whenever the bowler hat comes out or the shaved head heisen well he has a shaved head throughout most of the show but whenever that bowler hat comes out you know heisenberg is there walter white is not in control and uh for better call saul it's the pinky ring such an innocuous thing but whenever you cut to that pinky ring you know saul goodman's coming out and jimmy mcgill is such a vastly different character saul goodman will take a bribe but jimmy mcgill will have a conscience and have second doubts um so there's that also the idea of the corruption of innocence by the main characters, specifically to their female counterparts. So Breaking Bad, you have Walt Schuyler, how Schuyler essentially becomes um, a, a, a partner in crime, so to say, uh, throughout the show, but also with Jimmy and Saul to the character of Kim Wexler. Now, I haven't finished season, I haven't seen season five. I haven't, obviously they haven't filmed season six, Better Call Saul is still going on. But it's this idea that these innocent characters get a taste of the dark side and they want more. Now, whether or not these characters want to admit that, I think someone like Skylar White would think that she's innocent entirely and that she would never sink to such lows. But throughout the show, she does. She does things that are just as shady, if not shadier, than Walt does. You know, everything with the car wash, everything with laundering his money, being you know, un, like known complicit in the, in the crimes. And Kim Wexler is also guilty of the same thing. So I think that's very interesting uh, of these, these, these continuing themes that Vince Gilligan has in both of these shows. But, um, but yeah, once again, long tangent, I highly recommend Better Call Saul as well. Yeah. A fun thing to know. I've never watched Better Call Saul. I, I just, I, I like that character on Breaking Bad specifically because I thought he was peppered in just enough. I didn't have any interest in sort of seeing how he became what he was or any of the other backstory. I thought I got enough of it in Breaking Bad. People tell me I'm completely wrong about this, but I, 
I just have never bothered to go with it. Um, I do think it's neat though that you've noticed that similarity between how the the characters work and between them and, and some of the motifs. I mean, Gilligan's talked about it a lot and this goes back to his X-Files days too, like the colors that the characters wear make a huge difference in sort of where their mood is, where they are. And you even see that in El Camino and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but I, I I've always said that was neat. Like as Walt, kind of goes down the road and breaks bad as it were uh, he becomes much darker of a character he wears a lot darker clothing you you mentioned the black fedora and all of that stuff when he's heisenberg and all that business i i always thought that was neat and was just a neat motif as art to to frame out you mentioned skylar and i i've come to appreciate her so much more because what she represents is how easy it is to corrupt the innocent especially the standard issue person because I mean, whatever you think of Walter and and we could talk for hours about this, but honestly, like the thing you got to really understand about that show is that you're not watching a good man go bad. You're actually watching a bad man finally give into what he really wanted to do his whole life anyway. And that's when you you can kind of appreciate the show for a little bit different. If you watch it like that, like when I've rewatched it a couple of times through, I've done it with that, in my head and it gives you a different appreciation for watching it. It also allows you to not hate Skylar so much because you see how easy it is to be corrupted when you're in a vulnerable position, whether that be financially or emotionally or whatever, you see how easy it was for her to kind of go down that road. And I mean, that happens to people every day. You can read about it. I'm a big true crime podcast fan and I can't tell you how many episodes of the generation Y podcast are about exactly that. You know, people that just get pulled in and then they realize they're over their head and there's nothing else they can do about it. Uh, But Walter is not one of those characters. I think that's one of the things I've always appreciated him. And I dropped the shield early on. I I, I happen to think there's a lot in common between Walter White and Vic Mackey, the lead character on the shield. Vic Mackey is always a bad guy. He just gets worse and worse as the show goes on. And Walter's kind of the same way. He was kind of always a bad guy and he just kept it tamped down, you know, for whatever reason until he finally thought he had nothing left to lose because he was going to die. Right. And then he just turned the monster loose, but he was always a monster. And that's kind of fun to think about the show like that too. And it, I guess that brings us good to Jesse here too. I mean, Aaron Paul is such a great actor. I've seen him in lots of stuff outside of the breaking bad universe and he never fails to deliver an excellent performance. Uh, You know, the dude, even in like cheesy movies that he's in and stuff, the guy just does amazing work and can, he can emote so much with his face and the way that he, you know, he just, I don't, the way he pushes through and does things. And I mean, you know, even in something like Need for Speed, which is a total action cheese ball flick, he's given you a lot more than that, that thing really deserves. And I don't know if you watched the Hulu series, The Path, that he was on, but that is an amazing performance about a cult, essentially. I highly recommend it. I think that one ended a little too early, but I really like that one. And I love the juxtaposition between the two because while you think Jesse is a bad guy because he's a kind of a low-life drug dealer when you meet him, what she realizes that he's actually not the bad guy. He's probably the most redeemable character out of all of them. And so I thought it was a great move for Vince Gilligan to go, you know what, if we're going to tell another Breaking Bad story and do it quick, this is the guy's story we need to tell. 
Yeah, exactly. Jesse is by far one of my favorite characters watching this, and I definitely think it's because of Aaron Paul. Uh, since the beginning, like I, when I was rewatching this in like college and stuff, I started appreciating Aaron Paul in the show. And it's funny too, because in uh, originally the uh, Jesse Pinkman character was supposed to be killed off in like the first season or early second season, yeah. but they just loved uh, Aaron Paul's performance of Jesse that they actually wrote. They they kept they kept the character and they worked the uh, the dynamic between him and and Walter uh, throughout the whole show. And Aaron Paul like. There's moments throughout the show that I'm like, oh my god, he sells this entirely. You know, the I don't I don't know if I want to get into spoil. Let's just say Jane. Uh, you know what? No, we're gonna we're gonna spoil it. I mean, the yeah, the show old. the show's so, been on Jane, for a long time. Yeah, so. Jane's Jane. I won't I won't spoil Better Call Saul because it's still like kind of recent, still yeah. going on. But Better Call Saul out the window. You know, Jane's death when Hank. Uh, and this is all still fresh in my mind. So since I was rewatching it uh, after. Um, after they called off Hank after like right before they destroyed the RV and they called Hank saying, Oh, Marie's in the hospital and Hank uh, uh, literally beats the shit and assaults Jesse. And in the hospital when he, it's a slow pan in and a zoom in where he says, I'm going to destroy your brother-in-law. Like I'm going to make him think of me until he puts a gun in his mouth and pulls the trigger. I'm going to be the last thought he has. And uh, what other moments of, um, you know, even just him coming to terms with, his involvement in, you know, killing Gale and, yeah. and uh, even at the end where, when he starts to switch swap sides and he quote, quote unquote becomes a rat and he says, you know, he can't keep getting away with it in his relationship with, uh, with Brock and, and Audria or and Andrea, Audria, I think it's Audria either way the the, his like other love interests with the son, you know, he had, he's able to sell these, these moments of just, of, uh, of just of just being conflicted about what to do because he's you know he's selling selling drugs being a low life but he actually he has the most humanizing moments of the entire show like I love the I love the uh, the little moment when he's in uh, Narcotics Anonymous and they're talking about have you ever like what's what's something that you've done that you're proud of and he was talking about make this long uh, monologue about making this uh, this this chest that he half-assed in high school but the the shop professor said is this or the shop teacher said is this all is this the best you can do and he worked and worked and worked and he actually put so much effort into this and they said oh where's the chest now and he initially lies and said oh it was I gave it to my mom and then he immediately retracts and says I sold it for like an ounce of weed or something yeah and it's so it's that that performance sells that moment entirely of just of he's like questioning everything that he's doing and. And then eventually towards the end, he just says, you know, he kind of admits that he's a bad guy and he, and you, you can feel that he doesn't like what he has to do, especially continuing into El Camino, but it's just a necessary evil for him to just survive. He's a survivor. And yeah, I absolutely love Aaron Paul, his, the, the, the his moment, his moments as Jesse, the progression of Jesse, and I'm glad that they didn't kill him off. And I guess we'll just get into El Camino now. Yeah. Uh, th that was my first question, like going into this is, like, did you think Jesse Pinkman needed the conclusion? Did you think that when he was, uh, when Walt saved him from the Aryans, when he bust out in the El Camino, uh, kind of screaming into the night, like crying that he escaped, like, did you, was that a good conclusion for you? Like, did you like the ambiguity of him escaping? Did, did we need this movie? I think we needed this movie, especially from after seeing what we got, because as we know, El Camino is the conclusion chapter 
of uh, Jesse Pinkman after escape, like m- literally moments after breaking through the uh, the gate of a, of the of the Aryan compound. Did you I, think I'll, that the story needed to be told? I'll say this: like I was satisfied with the end of Breaking Bad the way it was, even though. You know, I'll say it's so, like I said before, it's so hard to stick the landing and get the ending right. But I really loved the ending of Breaking Bad, even though in some way Walter kind of got what he wanted. Um, and that's sort of annoying, but it, it felt earned is what I'll say. I was fine with Jesse drives off in a mad stupor and figures out, am I turning right, left? I don't know. I'm just driving and getting away. And if I had never seen anything else, I would have thought, Jesse went and found a very small town east somewhere, probably came out to where I am in the Carolinas or hmm. something, and just like went to work in construction and changed this and never talked to anybody again. Like I could see the traumatic experience of being in the area and cage and all that having played out in his head that way. Um, so did I think we needed it? No, I didn't think we needed anything. When I found out it was happening, I was like, oh, now I'm intrigued. Cause if you're going to tell, you know, the next day like what happens the day after i want to see how they pull that off and if anybody can pull it off it's vince gilligan and having seen what we saw i'll say that yeah it absolutely worked and i'm glad we got it i didn't think we needed it but i sure am glad it exists because now i feel like i i've seen something fulfilled and and i'll make a, a small reference here you know, my thoughts on the newer Star Wars trilogy, the Disney trilogy, if you will, are well documented over at Filmstrip Podcast. Um, and I'll be honest with you, the biggest thing I can say about those is that I didn't think we needed them as far as a continuing story after Return of the Jedi. And having seen them, I, I really wish I hadn't. Like, as much as I kind of like the first one and have come to appreciate the second one and I still hate the third one. I it didn't really do anything for me. Like, like, eh, I, I didn't, I didn't need that. Right. Like it didn't, didn't do anything for me. Um, but on the same, like, like the, it can be done right too. Like I thought solo was kind of a, eh, you know, I didn't need it. It was eh, whatever. I thought rogue one was again, I don't need that, but it was awesome. So I'm glad we got it. And I feel the same way about El Camino. I didn't need it, but I sure am glad it exists because I thought it was done well. And the thing I want to say about this movie and it's, it's something about the show that I've, I've come to appreciate having seen it through so many times now is that Vince Gilligan is really good at telling a story in the quiet moments when there's not dialogue, there's barely any music. There's just the scene, the lighting and the sound and the actor, usually one person in the scene doing something. And I feel like so much of Jesse's story gets wrapped up in those quiet moments in this. And so for that, I, I appreciate this and am glad that we got it. Yeah. And it's funny too, cause this, this film was made in like secrecy. Yeah. Um, like they, I th- they had like co- actors sign confident t- confidentiality uh, agreements. You know um, I think the, um, the, the actor that plays old Joe, the uh, like the scrap worker, I, I was watching the, like the 15 minute behind the scenes uh, thing on Netflix that they have with this. And he was saying, you know, it's, it's so awesome to return to this role and like return to this property. Uh, but, you know, and it's, and it's kind of funny in that, you know, people would ask me, oh, what are you doing? He says something awesome. And then he can't tell them. 
and yeah. that, that seemed to be like a common theme in like most of the actors and they all just returned for the love of the show and 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 the love of Vince Gilligan and the, and the um and the crew because the crew that came back it's it's a lot of the original crew that worked on Breaking Bad it's most of the crew that worked on Better Call Saul which they there's a lot of overlap and they just yeah. brought the entire team back together and you can really feel the love and the attention to detail here and well, another thing that I really like about Vince Gilligan's writing and how like the, the, throughout the whole like kind of speaking generally about the film is that like the story and how the PTSD that Jesse experiences you I mean you see it in the physical performance but how yeah. it's told is interesting in that all the flashbacks if I remember correctly they're all told when Jesse is like sleeping or it's like in a quiet moment mm-hmm. when he's thinking about his past you know uh I love the, the the juxtapositions early on like when Jesse's taking a shower and he's standing in the shower and then it quickly cuts to him being hosed by the Aryans and flashing back and forth where he's in this uh he's still kind of coming to terms with the reality that he's safe but not safe but he's still like living in that harsh reality and and another thing like i feel like things like this it could be when you return to a property like this that there could be so much you know there's there could be a lot of just pointless cameos like people show up they wave to the screen and then they are off willy-nilly but here i like how everything flows that characters don't just come back just for the sake of coming back you know uh especially with and I think this is yeah. really il- illustrated well with uh, the characters of Skinny Pete and Badger when those are the first people that Jesse comes back to and just how they respond to Jesse. I think it's, it all serves the larger narrative and, uh, and I, and I really like how Skinny Pete and Badger respond to Jesse, especially Skinny Pete because, you know, Skinny Pete pretty much takes the mantle and he gets in control and he, uh, recognize because Badger is always like the aloof uh, character that it kind of understands, but he's more the comic relief. But I like how Skinny Pete is the serious one of the moment and and underst- and almost like understands Jesse's uh, I guess pain at least just from the performance. I understand that where Badger is just like, oh man, like did they really keep me in a cage? Skinny Pete for some reason understands like no, this is like I, this guy is fucked up and he wants. Well, to- I- yeah, I mean, I think I think Skinny Pete, if we, if I remember correctly, he's actually done like real time mm-hmm. in in jail, and and Badger's done you know a few days here and there, a couple months, you know, whatever. But he's never done like hard time. Skinny Pete's done hard time. He met, he was kind of uh, lived a little harder with Tuco. So yeah, he yeah, I mean, he was serving some hard time. Yeah, so he's I mean he's seen stuff that Badger hasn't, and so but I man, I can I tell you I love that we went back to those two guys because I love those guys. Mm-hmm. They're so funny and so stupid. But they're so hilarious and unintentionally. And, uh, you know, hats off to Matt Jones and Charles Baker who play those guys. They didn't look like they missed a beat at all. Like, they looked the same mm-hmm. in, in the years in between the, when the show ended and when, the, when this happened. And I, I just thought that was awesome. I, I, I love that Jesse's first thought is, I got to go to Badgers. Because he's really the only person in the world he can trust at this point. You know, like there's, it's not like there's anybody else he can go talk to, right? Mm-hmm. Walt's dead, you know, uh, Brock's mom's, everybody's dead that he knows. He's certainly not going to his parents. We know that. And so where's, where else is he going to go? But to the two dudes he thinks will help him. And they do. And I mean, they go above and beyond on the help. And I love, 
when uh, Badger's uh, you know, driving off in, in the, the old T-Bird and stuff, and Jesse's getting ready to get in the Fiero, and they're having that whole, like, no self-respecting gangster would be caught in a car like that. And it is hilarious to think about that. But I love when, when Skinny Pete gives him – you know, his hat and tells him to lay low. And, you know, I, I'll give you about three hours. That's about all I can do right now, you know, to hold the cops off. And he just says, why are you doing this, man? And he's like, yeah, you're like my hero and shit. And I was like, wow, that's kind of sad, skinny. But also I kind of respect that, you know, like this church, you know, like I feel it, you know, like th- there's just something cool about that. And the look on Jesse's face, the way Aaron Paul plays that is so great is he doesn't smile, but he's like, looks at him like, damn, man, I'm sorry but I appreciate it. And then he gets in the car and draws off. I just thought that was just some good, good acting. And I mean, that's the only time we see those guys is the opening 15, 20 minutes of this, but it's, it's so, so well done. And again, so well written with those two guys that can just do that little banter back and forth. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's also important here because this is when we see with Jesse, because he shaves his, shaves his head, he shaves his beard, and, but we see, you know, the physical injuries that he's endured over, like, the six months of captivity by yeah. the Aryans. You know, we see, like, the whipping scars on his back. We see the scars on his face and just, like, how much of a haggard person that he looks. And this is another thing that – and this might come up – actually, this will definitely come up, especially in the next sequence, um, because this does take place, like, five years after Breaking Bad ended. And some of the characters definitely look five years older. Uh, yeah. I think definitely, well, because. Let's just talk uh, about Jesse Plemons right now, that he has uh, a yeah, lot that's bigger. that's definitely the <laughs> elephant in the room. Um, yeah, he, he is a lot bigger dude than he was as Landry Clark on Friday Night Lights. Or yeah, what as, do they call him, like Fat Damon now or something I, yeah, like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, because <laughs> he's, he's definitely kinda, the knockoff Matt Damon, but oof, yeah. man. I mean, he has definitely plumped it up a little bit. And it's one of those things like you just have to, in your head, go, this guy's five years older. He's clearly at a different place in life. Good for him. You know, he, uh, and I, mean, I think he's a fabulous actor. Oh, yeah. And, and the, I mean, the character, the Todd character was always like, man, I can't wait to watch that guy die because it's going to have to be glorious. And the way when Jesse kills him in the, in the finale, Felina, is so good. And it's so exactly what that guy deserves, you know, because he's such a freaking psychopath. But you have no idea how like serial killer deep weirdo this guy really is. And we get a little peek at that in this. And I thought that was so good because it just reinforces what Vince Gilligan wanted you to know. I'm going to take the most all American boy next door looking guy. And I'm going to turn him into friggin' Ted Bundy right in front of you. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's what he did. And credit to Plemons for, he may not look the same, but he hits every beat. Exactly. Oh yeah, the I, voice I, is the same. It's I all of it. Love yeah. Todd. Todd was one of uh, my favorite villains of the show because, oh, yeah. and and that's where I thought like, I'm like, okay, the Aryans are because I always was like, okay, well, who's more intimidating? Is it the cartel or the Aryans? And I think after uh, the prison sequence, which I didn't mention that when we talked about the show, like the violence that they were able to get across on a yeah. quote unquote like prime time, like anyone could watch this late at night. I think the prison sequence when they uh, get when they kill all of the uh, uh, the informants f- that yeah. were working for uh, Gus Gus Fring and the cartel and they kill them through the orchestration over like what was it like seven prisons with the Aryans in a yeah. two minute time frame that was probably the most that probably is the most violent thing I've ever seen on TV. 
I, and when I was watching that, I, I'm like, I still, to this day, I'm like, how did they ever show this on TV? I, I, can I tell insane. you how they did it? Because The Shield did it too. Like, if you've never watched that show, and if, if people may have forgotten that one, because it has been almost 20 years now since it was around, go watch that. And the reason you have violence in cable shows now is all because of what the FX laid the ground for. And The Wire got violent, but it was it was kind of tame. On, I mean, in, in terms, The Shield got bloody and weird and nasty. When you're burning people's faces off on the stove and cutting feet <laughs> off and shit like that, that show is messed up. And Breaking Bad, I always felt like when Breaking Bad kind of went there, I was like, oh, you're doing this, what The Shield did. And I only know that because I'm a big <laughs> Shield mark, obviously. But it's the same kind of thing. I mean, it will blow your mind. Like, I can't believe they showed that. Um, what's cool about this is... Uh, like all the gunplay in this movie and all the violence in it and stuff is honestly really downplayed. And I'm kind of proud of Vince Gilligan for not going like, I got licensed to do whatever the hell I want now. And he kind of dials it back a little bit. It sort of plays with your expectations some, which is kind of cool. Like, I mean, just hearing Todd talk about how he kills his cleaning lady is way worse than having seen him done it. Oh yeah. You know? He's I so mean, nonchalant about it. So like, oh, she found my money and, and like she, and like, he's like, Oh, she thought that it was a mistake. I had to kill her. And even like the details of, so the setup is we cut back mm-hmm. and Jesse is in the hole uh, where uh, like where he was kept in captivity and Todd comes out and uh, we see he's definitely gained a few few pounds in those six months uh, he hoists down a cigarette he's like you know I need your help you know and I need to trust you you know so you know sit in the back seat of the Cam- in the Camino and we're gonna uh, we're, you're gonna help me out with this we're gonna get the back of the we're gonna get the back of the truck we're gonna go to my place oh you dig my you dig my apartment I really you really like the place and he walks into the kitchen and, oh, my God, dude, what, what, what did you do? Oh, this is my cleaning lady. You know, she found the money. And even just them wrapping her up in the, in the rug and they get halfway through. He's like, oh, hang on, hang on. It's not straight. Oh, wait, hang Roll her back. I, I, got, I need my belt back. <laughs> and he puts the belt back on. Just so nonchalant and just so matter yeah. of fact. Like, oh, she found my money. You know, that's, we can't have people with that. And. And I and I just love how it's, and this is, it goes back to my original point of Todd is such an intimidating character in just how mm-hmm. yeah you know, he's very much like Ted Bundy and just how normal he seems until he's not you know with right. the heist with the methylamine everything is going to plan until the kid uh, the the kid on the dirt bike comes and. Todd even waves at him like, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. Walls him into this false sense of security. And then he pulls out the gun and shoots him dead. Yeah. And then um, when Jack, the head Aryan starts talking about it, he's like, you know, kid saw us. It was a loose end. Don't know what I know. It's, I know you, you don't want me to kill a kid, but it had to be done. And not even, there was no remorse in his voice. And it goes here as well. He's just, mm. you, you never know. You never know what he's going to do. And that's the scary part. Now you you mentioned somebody I I wish they had, had a little bit of flashback with I loved the Jack character on Breaking Bad only because that guy has been the bad guy and he's also played a lot of cops in his career too but the the uh, that guy is one of my favorite like bad guy character actors of all time and it goes back to a movie that from my childhood that I love called Iron Eagle where he plays like the ultimate asshole from high school that you had to go to high school with <laughs> um, uh, Michael. 
Bowen is the actor's name. I had to think about it for a minute. He, that guy is so good. He always gives such a cool performance. But I like how even he's a little scared of Todd and how messed up he is. It's probably why he keeps him close because he's afraid he'll kill him or something someday. But, no, the, the whole Todd sequence here is awesome. And one thing I wanted to ask you because – you know, the times I've watched this movie, it's never been entirely clear to me. How much cash does he have stashed in that place? It's got to be like close to half a million dollars, if not more. Like, how much do you think he's got in there? I thought it was at least a million. You know, I thought yeah. like maybe because, well, maybe it was like maybe a million, like one, like one and a half million. Because so this is so the whole this whole setback um, is we get because Jesse goes to Todd's apartment because he knows that he has money stashed. It's why the, the late, um, the cleaning lady was killed because he stashed money inside encyclopedias and Jesse needs money to escape and, and survive. So he goes in, tears the apartment apart and we get this like really unique Vince Gilligan esque, uh, it kind of like it's like the style of Breaking Bad of him like tearing the apartment apart. I really love the top down shot where mm-hmm. it's like clones of Jesse just like ripping the apartment apart, and we find it in the um, in the uh, in the refrigerator. That, yeah, and, that's called diorama filmmaking, and I mm-hmm. love that. I love that touch in this that they go back and do this. And uh, Marshall Adams, who's the cinematographer on this, who had only done one Breaking Bad episode, he did a you know several other things. Obviously, works on on Better Call Saul a lot. I, the fact that Vince Gilligan trusted him to pull that off, and they've done that. They did it so many times on the show uh, too, where like when they would be cooking math or running around doing stuff. I love that diorama shot, so because it does give you a sense of like how frantic this is but it allows you to see all of it from like the fly on the wall point of view versus the first person point of view yeah exactly and uh i always think of it too when jesse gets high on heroin for the first time when he just floats yeah. out it, and it's almost like a diorama with jane just kind of hanging out sleeping on the bed and he literally floats out of the apartment it's very surreal and i love just how it's shot and we find oh okay it's it's in the um it's in the uh it's in the fridge and this is when we get introduced to our villains of the new villains of the of El Camino and uh and they essentially turn out to be the guys that welded and that pretty much put Jesse in capacity or uh they uh captivity I'm sorry they they built the the rigs they built the cages there were the welders I guess or the junkyard welders yeah and my thing about and I guess to answer your question, because they come in looking for the money, they find Jesse, and we get this whole like Mexican standoff with Jesse thinking they're cops and stuff like that. But um, and they split it three ways, and it seems like the two guys that go there they get half. Like one gets a third, the other gets a third, then Jesse gets a third. And I think Jesse has he walks away with. I'm trying to remember what. The, the vacuum cleaner guy charges. He, I mean, he wants the. We should talk about like, like uh, Ed, uh, played by uh, the late Robert Farster, fantastic actor, by the way. Uh, wants it's one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars to disappear you. He wants an extra one hundred twenty-five for the time Jesse stiffed him, and Jesse's about two thousand bucks short. So he walks away with almost half, you know, with with a yeah, quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. So so if you if you figure that out, like that's why I was figuring like eh, about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars maybe is what he's got going on in there. I don't know. I was just I was just curious about that. And it doesn't really matter because the point is and you nailed it right, we have two awesome, awesome Mexican standoffs in this. Mm-hmm. The first one's at the apartment. 
Then there's the one later at the junkyard when Jesse goes to retrieve the what's left of the money. And both of them are just gold in terms yep. of cinema and how to do that. And, you know, like Quentin Tarantino is like a huge mark for those. I mean, they're in every movie he's ever done, I think. And there's other people who are, but Vince Gilligan really understands what makes those work. And, you know, I, I think back to like Sergio Leone, spaghetti westerns with clint eastwood and stuff and probably the most famous one is good the bad and the ugly and you see that mexican standoff at the end of that movie and there's several of them throughout it but the one at the end is the one everybody knows and lee van cleef and eli wallach and clint are just the way it's shot and the way they're bouncing around vince gilligan does the same thing in both of the standoffs in this movie and i just i i ate that up because as somebody who grew up watching that kind of stuff and still adores it it, it was just neat to see. It's so cool to, to do because people do that all the time, but they can't pull it off. Right. There's a, you, you have to let the moment linger to where it almost gets like silence is uncomfortable and then they move. And I thought it was great that these guys pose as cops and Jesse figures out, you know, eventually, wait a minute, you guys aren't cops. And that, you know, that's when he gets the drop on them is able to get away. Yeah, exactly. And one thing I really like about uh, Vince Gilligan as a director and a writer is like, he's able to, so I've always been a big proponent of like the fine line between homage and copying. Yeah. For instance, Tarantino really rides that line really hard, whether he's copying or he's paying homage, he can yeah. do both simultaneously. Sometimes he just straight up rips off styles that of films that, uh, that he, that really influences him. And other times he pays great homage. Um, but Vince Gilligan, homages this is like a whole like like those those instances like the the whole mexican standoff at the end which we'll get to it's a homage he's not copying mm -hmm. he's paying tribute but he's doing his own thing and there's lots of homages to the western so so finishing off the todd and jesse's sideline when they bury the um they bury the cleaning lady in the desert when todd and Je Je todd is saying oh great job today, Jesse. Like you really earned your salt today. Like it's great job. Oh, can you go, uh, go into the glove box, get my cigarettes. And Jesse pulls out a gun and you know, we have the low angles looking up. It's like almost like a holstered, holstered shot, but it's reversed in that Todd doesn't have the gun. And, and, and what I love also about that, like finishing up with Todd is the manipulation of, he knows, Oh shit, I forgot that I had the gun in there, but he's just, Oh, Jesse, I, uh, I was thinking we were going to get like a six pack and, you know, a, a pizza. What's your favorite pizza? Oh, pepperoni. Yeah. We're, I was going to get you a pepperoni pizza, maybe some ice cream. You know, you've earned it today. You're, you're doing really good. And, wow. and hand me, hand me the gun. And Jesse just breaks down. Cause he knows like he has the power, like he has all the power physically in this situation, but he has none. And I love that moment where he just hands the gun over and he's just a completely broken man. And then we don't even see the resolve. Like it doesn't matter. We don't know if Todd holds his end of the bargain. We don't know if he actually means what he's saying. Oh, I, I think he, I think he does. Like I'll, I'll put it now. The fact that we don't see it doesn't matter. I think he does at no time. Does Todd ever say something that he doesn't mean or that he doesn't follow through on in the history of the show or even in this, you know, a little bit in this movie, I think it, that's exactly what happened. I think Jesse just realizes that th I can't get out of this. I am trapped. And that's, that's kind of the Jesse motif. When we first meet him, if you think back to season one, the first time you meet him, what is he doing? He's running from the cops, from the, you know, the DEA agents mm -hmm. out of the door. And he's kind of always running. And this movie is sort of Jesse finally getting to the end of his run. But 
boy, he's still running. And even when he's in captivity, he's still running. Cause he knows like, if I kill this dude, all of those guys are going to come down on me. And yes, they will find me. Look at what they've been able to orchestrate so far. Right? Like he, he knows that he can't get out of it. And uh, yeah, I think Todd bought him ice cream and pizza and then threw him back in the cage. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that firmly. Yeah, exactly. And I wanted to close the Todd off second because I really like those moments too, you know, the reversal of, you know, Jesse has the gun and he has all the physical power in the moment, but he has none at the same time. And even the moment of, um, you know, they're driving, like it's uh, the moments of Todd, like they're driving on the highway and he's singing along to the radio and Jesse's in the back of the El Camino next to this corpse. And he's like really freaked out. And then the truck goes by and Todd does the whole like, oh, do your like hang, uh, honk the horn. It's just so and, and he's just having the great time. He's taking a drive in the desert and he's, you know, he's careless and free while he is a corpse and a captive in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I really like those moments. And, but then going back, what, so I really think the villains are intimidating or I think the main, the main welder is intimidating. Uh, I'm trying yeah. to remember his name. I think it's Casey. I think that's yeah. The, K- Casey and Neil are the yeah. two guys. Yeah. And I think Casey is like the more intimidating, like the leader because Neil is just kind of long for the ride and he's just like the, he's the follower and Casey in himself well, is very well, N- Neil was, was the welder. Casey's just one of his, his compadres. Oh, then the I got it reversed. Okay. Yeah. Um, so either way, I think like the guy in control, he's very intimidating and I think he played it perfectly. My only thing is though, is that, you know, as intimidating as these guys are, I'm like, they're not the Aryans. They're not the cartel. They're not anyone that they're not Mike, you know, that, I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, they're welders, but uh, like they're criminals, but they're not, you know, they're not, they don't have the same power as the, the Aryans to me, which maybe is the point, And maybe that's how Jesse can escape. Because I think if it was the Aryans, like if more Aryans walked in, I don't know if Jesse would have been able to escape. I don't know if he would have been able to confront them. But, um, but that was like kind of my one thing about the movie is that as intimidating as the, this Neil or Casey, like the main guy, as intimidating as he is, I just was thinking like, they're not the Aryans, you know? Um, I don't know. What, what did you have to think about these welders? Oh man. I thought they were total like in over their skis. Idiots didn't realize what they were getting into. And then they got a real taste of what a real villain is. And I, that's what I, I thought was cool about them was they thought they were going to be hot stuff and steal all this money. And now they got hookers and blow at the you know place. And Jesse rolls in and shows them what a real gangster is. And yeah, exactly. I, mean, I mean, the standoff at the end, let's just talk about it now. You know, Jesse steals guns from his parents' house, right? 22s. Yeah. He 20, steals, yeah which again, yeah. is like, because you can see the moment when he goes into the house and, and breaks in the safe and it's his, it's his kid brother's birthday mm-hmm. and you know, the favorite and, uh, or maybe not the favorite more like the not fuck up and like the normal one. Yeah. And he takes out the guns and you could tell in his head, he's like, Oh, okay. I'm going into a gunfight with 22s. And they even make points of it that he has 22s there. He's like, how is your 22 hold up against my 45? And it's so interesting where Jesse walks in, he legitimately says, give me $2,000 and I'll be out of your hair or the 1800 because Jesse goes to the Robert Forrester, uh, the late and great Robert Forrester, um, the vacuum, uh, I guess he, well, he's a vacuum salesman, but it's the front for uh, the disappearing business. Yeah. And, and it's the whole, okay, you're supposed to be here. 
okay, this is this is owed money, the hundred hundred twenty-five thousand. Now I need another hundred twenty-five thousand, and he's eighteen hundred dollars short. And he goes back and says, "All I need is eighteen hundred. I'm not trying to rob you. Just I'll be out of your hair." And the greed of this guy, and and the just how he's weighing over his head. It's probably also the cocaine and the alcohol talking where he mm-hmm. just, it inflates his ego even more. Where he says, yeah, whatever. Like you and me, we'll do a standoff. It's a winner takes all. And yes. And this is where we get to that final standoff because we have Neil and Jesse and then Casey, who's like in the background, like uh, what's going on. We're cutting back and forth, back and forth. Uh, Casey's looking at his gun. That's like the backup plan. And all the other cronies are just like coked out, like freaked the hell out. And it's, yeah, like you said earlier, it's the silence of all the instances of just what's going to happen. It's the darting of the eyes. It's the, it's the flicking of the fingers. It's, it's everything going on. Well, what I, what I love is that this guy is like thinking he's really going to draw with Jesse. He's got one pistol on the right and he's got his hand down by it, but he, you know, he's paying no attention to the fact that Jesse's got his left hand in his jacket pocket. So obviously he's got another gun. No, none of these guys clearly know that that would be the move. Cause if Jesse was doing this with any of his others, like the Aryan guys would be like, take your hand out. You know, like they know, like, you know, any of the other people, Tuco's guys, whoever, you know, would know like, Hey, this guy's, you know, double arming here. But because Jesse's a real gangster and knows, he's like, man, I'm going to get the drop on this idiot because he has no idea what he's up against. And as soon as the guy makes a move, there's three shots, like boom, boom, boom. And then Jesse just empties the whole revolver into him. And everybody's standing there like, I, I, the guy cheated to win. And Je- the look on Jesse's face is like, yeah, of course. You know, like, like there was any doubt whatsoever. And then when he gets into the gunfight with the other guy, what I love about that is that there, it's always the trope in the movies. Like it's, you pick up and you can just hit somebody that's 10 feet across from you. If, if you were shot handguns at all, like it is incredibly hard to get proficient with one. And like, you're going to, you can throw, especially somebody that's coked out like that dude was, he ain't going to hit nothing. And that's when Jesse finally catches him. It's like, oh yeah, I get it. You know, but I mean, they, they fire off a lot of rounds at each other in a close proximity. But I, what I love about it is the sound design is perfect. That's what those guns would sound like if you were shooting them like that. Yeah. The guns and, go off the, the yeah. breaking of the glass, like even just like the gun, even a bullet, like entering and penetrating the skull and him crashing yeah. into the, uh, the vending machine. Like it's, and there's, it's just a it's a perfect build-up and then it's just you have the echoing gunshots and that's like the music that's the score of the scene it's just gunshots and violence but but the the best thing is that the guy is like getting all jacked up like okay i'm gonna draw on this kid right and the look on jesse's face is like whatever dude like i mean he's so he at that moment he's at his coldest and i think it's interesting to note too that at no time do we see jesse do anything that impairs himself anymore like he turns down a joint from Badger to try to eat the edge off. He doesn't drink. He's not, I mean, at no time does he go back to any of the things that have derailed his life to this point. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, it's almost like you're seeing him re, you know, rebirth himself out of that haze that he's been in for 10 years or however long it's been at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in the exactly. Breaking Bad world. And it's, it's neat to see that in a world of all these you know, substance abuses and, and crooks and stuff like that. The guy who's most responsible for it that's still left doesn't have any, doesn't even, doesn't even think about it. There's not even a second thought, doesn't care. Right. And I, I love how though, it, it, after the gun gunfight and the shootout there, Jesse's like, hold on a second. I can't just roll out of here. I got it. You know, so he, he holds the other three at gunpoint. He gets all their driver's licenses and he does what I call the Clint Eastwood unforgiven. 
thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you come after me, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to burn your house down and kill your damn dog too. You know, <laughs> it, those guys are, they are scared out of their minds, probably pissing themselves walking out the door, you know, and Jesse also realizes I can't just leave these two idiots sitting here. Okay. Well, we're going to have a little welding accident tonight. And just blows the thing sky high. And that almost feels like too much of a big action beat in a, such a downplayed movie, but I kind of feel like it's earned. I think it works because it shows that Jesse has learned. You got to cover your tracks. He yeah. is basically literally burning down any notice memory or evidence of himself in Albuquerque. Yeah, exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head there with like, yeah, the explosion is like really over the top, but uh, it's, I think it's symbolizing like this is like the final explosion. Like Jesse is leaving his past in that building. And, like the explosion is even bigger than the one uh, when they destroyed the meth lab after uh, they, after Gus is, is killed by, uh, uh, by uh, the Salamanca. What's his name? Uh, Hector Salamanca. Oh yeah, that's it. Hector. Yeah, after Hector blows them up sky high, and they just and they torch the lab. This explosion is bigger than that, but I think it symbolizes way more for Jesse. And like a true badass, he doesn't look behind him, and he drives off. And this is when we get and and it's interesting because the next flashback is is you know Jesse back in the water, and he's it's a really interesting shot of him, you know, submerging himself in in ice water, and he like picks his head up and dunks himself back under he walks out and i'm like oh wait this is a different you know uh because it just seamlessly cuts to it i'm like oh that's like clothes he wore in breaking bad and then he's in a hotel and he knocks on the door and lo and behold walter white himself walks out of the hotel room and i have to admit i did have that was like the i had a big cheering moment at that moment i because i wasn't for some reason i wasn't expecting it i don't know why i didn't expect uh, Brian Krantz in the return as Walter White and even just for an appearance in the show in the movie but when they walked out and it was just mm-hmm. silent you know and and I think that was perfect like there was no like yeah. music cue that just Jesse knocks on the door and then Walter walks out and they just walk into the camera together down the hallway oh it, at that moment I was like oh yeah oh, yeah well you I mean you knew Krantz was gonna have to make an appearance somewhere like it was gonna be there and when the, he comes out and it's like Holy cow. And what you realize is it's after they've done their big meth cook off in the Winnebago when, when Walt had lied about, you know, going to see his mother on the airplane and all that stuff. It's right before Skylar kind of finds out something's up and you know, all the stuff that's going down. It's right before Walter's life really starts falling apart. And th- just the conversation they have in that diner is so, I mean, there's so many pieces of it that reveal for you how this is going to go. Walter's not eating anything. He's not really drinking water like he's supposed to, even though Jesse's, you know, budgeting him to do it. Walt is self-destructing. And and it's also when Walter reveals himself, like as the monster that he really is. Because he says that whole bit about like, you're lucky you got to do something special early in life. You didn't have to wait your whole life to do it. And it's almost like, dude, you cook meth. Like mm-hmm. that really like that's your thing. And what you see Jesse doing, he's eating a salad. He's eating a lot of fruit. He's drinking water. He's got on a black you know, jacket. He's got on a white t-shirt. Again, the color motif going there. Mm-hmm. He He's not pounding beers. He's not, you know, drinking soda. He's doing stuff to take care of himself. Cause he realizes, man, I've been sweating it off at the desert for three days. I gotta like, you know, not die here. And he he's all about doing the right thing and and, and you know, we didn't talk about it but he and mike have a great scene at the very you know, it's a flashback at the very beginning of the of the movie where mike lays on him and said now kids you can never make it right 
you know, you can go forward and do new, but you can never make it right. In other words, you can't go back and undo all the bad, heinous shit you've done. Right. And what you see Jesse doing in this scene is still trying to come to grips with that realization. He's like, cause he thinks Walter's going to die any minute. And he's like, look, I promise you, your family's going to get the money they, you know, they earn. I'm not going to stiff them and all that stuff. I mean, this one, you really, realized that that's how these two guys really learned to trust each other. I mean, they probably cared the most about each other before they completely you know, fell apart um, after we went for Gus and all the you know, crazy stuff that happened there. But I, I just love that moment because Cranston again, just, I mean, it's like he never missed a beat six years later, just picks right, just falls right back into that suit. You know, the, the skull cap, I mean, the, the makeup on the skull cap is good because he did not shave his head again uh, for that. Because he's like, mm, no, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, for, <laughs> so, for, so, for a five minute scene, I'm not shaving yeah. my head. I'm blaming. I mean, you, you can kind of see if you look a little bit like well, that looks a little tall on his head there a little bit, but it, you know, they did a good job with it. But the voice that, that's the thing that always made Walter White so cool was that raspy kind of, yeah, I can't do it. But mm-hmm. Cranston's voice is so purely heisenberg in that moment it's so good and it's just fun to watch him do it i feel like i'm a stewie and family guy and i'm watching (laughs) patrick stewart like he said the thing you know but i mean really it's it's such a good scene but it also tells you so much about where these guys are going to end up walt's going to end up dead on the floor of a meth lab you know and jesse's going to wind up you know riding off into the great white unknown you know, finally free of all of his demons when this is over. And uh, just to have that scene and where it appears in the movie, it's, oh, man, it's awesome. It's so yeah. great. And it, it's why I say this movie works so well in the quiet moments. You know, to be such a big action kind of thing, to come down a beat like that and still hold you, it's, it's amazing. It's like watching a big rock band do like a series of ballads and it not feel cheesy. Yeah. It's like, holy, it's, I mean, and I'll, I'll, I'll use my favorite band. The Eagles at any one time could be five things. They could be a country band. They could be a freaking R and B band. They could do disco. They could be hard rock, you know, and you never feel like any of it's not genuine. It's still them, you know? Mm-hmm. And same thing about this movie is it can be all of these things. It can be an action movie. It can be a crime movie. It can be a drug movie. And it can be a drama about a guy who's finally getting his life together after years of not. And I don't know. It's just what makes the thing work so well. Yeah, exactly. I, I really do love the scene too. And I love the exact next moment is when we, uh, we have Ed dropping Jesse off in Alaska. And I love like, cause this is the, like the contrast of these two uh, environments, you know, the desert being harsh, hot, like unforgiving. And then we get into like another frontier, like a complete opposite, you know, white, pure. It's uh, I feel like Alaska is, is even in in cinema and popular culture, but even just in like today and how we discuss like this state is it's, it's idealized. It's like the final frontier, like the last frontier. And it's just so pure and untouched. I mean, outside of the oil fields, but you know, most of the the country or the country, most of the state is just untouched wilderness. That's just, most of it's like uh, nature preserves and it's just pure, you know? And I think, and then we go to, you know, that idea, the motif of white, you know, innocence, pure, and this is the new start for Jesse. And, and we get the, the final of anyone you want to say goodbye to. And uh, Jesse gives Ed the letter for Brock, which I thought it was, it may have been his kid brother at first, because um, I always felt that like, I mean, not that they had much of a relationship, but mm-hmm. I, I, I always remember the scene when Jesse goes home in the first season and his parents find a joint and they blame Jesse and Jesse just takes it. 
he takes the blame without any argument whatsoever. He gets out knowing he's on thin ice with his parents, but then his younger brother comes out and says, Oh, like, thanks for taking the fall for me. And Jesse knows like, you know, like I'll take the fall for you because, you know, they think I'm a deadbeat druggie anyway, but the last thing he does is he rips the joint and says it's skunk weed anyway, and then drives away. And I don't think we ever see the kid brother again after that. I know he's referenced, but at first I was like, Oh, maybe he's going to say goodbye to his kid brother. But then you see, you know, Brock's name on the letter. And I was like, okay, that makes perfect sense. Um, And it's interesting too, because at the end of the sequence, after he drives off, we have a flashback to Jane. So we, his like final two moments of, or I guess referenced of this film are of, um, Audria and Brock, you know, the, the season five or season, season four, season five love interest that kind of grounds him again. Mm-hmm. And the Aryans kill her because he tries to escape. And it's just like, you know, we'll kill Brock next. And, you know, we know you have that relationship with her. And they even, they keep his, uh, or they keep her photo and Brock's photo in his cell in the meth lab, just as a constant reminder, like, this is our leverage over you. Like we will kill a kid. We don't care. Whereas I feel like Gus uh, you know, the whole thing with, um, because the, 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 what was it? The, the dealers, the street level dealers that kill, uh, her youngest, her, her youngest brother who killed, um, a combo. And that's like kind of the whole thing with the Aztec when, when, he, when Walter saves Jesse with the Aztec, which was an awesome moment. I just watched that the other night and I still had a great reaction to it. Um, the whole thing is like, he says to Gus, like, you're going to let them kill kids and Gus was clearly unaware that they were using, well, I would think that Gus was unaware that they were utilizing children and Gus does have that hard line of like, I'm not going to kill a kid. The Aryans on the other hand, prove directly that they have no, they do not care if they kill kids, women, women, children, old men, young people, they will kill anyone that gets in their way. And I think that's really interesting that we have Brock as that's the only person he wants to say goodbye to. And then we cut directly, um, to Jane, which was also great seeing Jane come back because that was the turning point. That was like, I think the ultimate moment for the character of Jesse when he realizes that he has to change. Yeah, completely. And I mean, that that's, you know, Jesse's parting word isn't to his family. It's to a kid who's orphaned at this point now. And he doesn't want that kid to go down the same road. And I love that we don't know what the contents of the letter are. You can only just imagine that it's him going, look, here's how your mom got killed. And this is what you need to do to avoid this life. And you need to do everything you can to do that. And listen to your grandmother, go to school, you know, stay out of trouble. Good luck but you need to know what happened. So you don't feel like you need to avenge her or something. The people who killed her are all dead and you need to know that. And I, I mean, I kind of like that, that that's Jesse's way of, again, of cleansing himself of everything. There's no looking back once he gets in that forerunner and starts heading up that highway, he's not looking back. He's not thinking. And when he has the little flashback with Jane, you know, and the whole idea of sort of her aimless wandering through life and where he realizes that what she really meant was like, yeah, that's not really going to get you anywhere, man. Like you actually have to have a plan. And for once in his life, Jesse's taking control of his life. And you, I don't know, it leaves you with a sense of hope, right? It's like, maybe there's hope on the other side of all of this. And that's why he's driving off into the, the white wilderness. Maybe he can just go and run a dry goods store or something and just, live a quiet life in Alaska and never, never, you know, venture back down to, 
you know, his old darker days and stuff. That's what you can hope for. Right. I mean, the, if breaking bad ended with everybody getting what they deserved, Jesse gets freed, the Aryans get wiped out and Walt dies, you know, because he, he deserved it. If that, if, if that show ends with the idea, everybody gets what they deserve, then it's kind of neat to see this movie end with Jesse getting maybe not what he deserves, but what he's earned on his own for once. And yeah, exactly. I don't know, it's kind of cool. Yeah, no, I think that's like that. And I love the use of um, like drones in this movie to get those mm-hmm. more like cinematic shots that they couldn't necessarily get in the show. Um, and I'll see in the behind the scenes of just like the, the cinematographer utilizing drones and like creating these like picturesque moments. And I really did enjoy just the, I, I believe the final shot is just the car driving into the sun or driving into the Alaskan wilderness with, or with Jesse smiling. And we get a few drone shots of just like the expansiveness of the state. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I really did like that hopeful note. And then, you know, we cut to, to ending credits and I love that we end on that hopeful note. And with that, I guess that, that concludes like the ending discussion. So we can get into uh, final thoughts, closing thoughts and uh, final recommendations. So um, I guess I'll go first. So I, this I, one thing I forgot to mention, and I was kind of saving it for the closing thought, is that when El Camino was announced and it was streaming on Netflix and had that brief theatrical run, I didn't come. I didn't come to it immediately, despite absolutely loving Breaking Bad, starting Better Call Saul. I didn't come to El Camino immediately. I, I waited because I think in the end of the day, I was I didn't want to be disappointed by it. And I was like, you know what, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And eventually I said, you know what, it, this has got, I have to watch it. And when I finally sat down and watched it, I, I, th- I, I both thanked myself for finally watching it, and I was annoyed that it took me so long to finally get to it. I think El Camino is definitely the conclusion that we may not have asked for, but it's definitely deserved, and it's, and it's warranted, and I'm glad we have it. Um, I love that we were able to see, like, we were able to get like I mean we had a conclusion to Jesse in the show but I'm glad we were able to get closure in this moment and and to see the continuation of Jesse being a new and better person um I think the the writing of the movie is great I think the cinematography I think the themes are echoed throughout everything I think it's 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 a damn good movie and I and I think every Breaking Bad fan will enjoy this um so with that i'm gonna give um el camino a solid uh i'm gonna give it an eight and a half out of ten i think it's a solid recommendation um i i yeah i can't recommend this enough i'm gonna give it a solid eight and a half i gotta tell you you know this came out on a friday morning um october in 2019 and when i found out it was going to be a thing you know couple weeks before it happened i was like holy cow this could be awesome i didn't intend to do this like but i woke up at like two in the morning that morning for some reason and i couldn't go back to sleep and i said okay well i'll go in the den and it hit me you know five minutes of kind of flipping through i was like oh wait a minute el camino's out and i just flipped on netflix and i thought well i'll i'll start it and then if i go to sleep i'll just you know finish it later i was set there i was mesmerized watched it twice that morning before I you know, ended up having to get ready to go to work finally, because I just consumed it. It's one of the few times I've done something like that. And I kind of did it almost you know, unknowingly, but I realized now I think something in my head told me like, get up and watch that. And like I said, I, I was glad I got to watch it a couple of times before I had to go into work that day. Such a well done coda to a story that already had its final chapter. And 
more or less worked. That's the final chapter. And as a coda, like I'd said earlier, I, I didn't think we needed it, but I sure am glad we got it. Cause it, I don't know. It just, it, it ties up any loose end you think you might still have of anybody you care about in this show. And all the performances are wonderful. Aaron Paul's great in this, maybe one of the best things he's ever done. Um, and it'll probably be the role he goes down, you know, most for when it's all said and done, even though he's you know, got a big career in front of him, assuming he wants to keep working. Um, I know he's getting into production and things like that now. I thought he did great. It was great to see Cranston come back and reprise the role one last time. You know, those can be tricky. People come back and do stuff and it's like, eh, that wasn't that good, but he nails it because it's peppered in just right. Everybody's peppered in just enough, you know, to make it work. And, you know, it's one of the last things Robert Forrester got to do. And it's just like, he just walked right off the set and did it, you know, just like always, you know, and uh, for me, it's, it's a great example of how to do an expansive universe story and not ruin your universe as part of it. So I'll, I'll give it an eight and a half out of 10 as well. I think that's a very fair rating for it. Um, and it's a strong one. And I definitely recommend watching it. I mean, especially if you, if you've seen the show, you gotta watch it. I mean, it's definitely worth doing. Um, and maybe if you, you, know, you saw it when it came out and you had thought about it in a while, go back and revisit it. It was fun to go back and rewatch it for this conversation. And uh, it's definitely one that uh, I'll keep in my queue and, you know, eventually I'll, I'll get around to doing a breaking by rewatch as well. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably end with El Camino again because it's just so strong. All right. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Well, Jay, thanks again for coming on the show. This was, I knew, I always have fun talking with, talking movies with you. Um, this was definitely something I was looking forward to as well. Um, why don't you uh, do some plugs again? I know we got them in the beginning, but we'll end the show with some plugs as well. Absolutely. Thanks again, Mike. It's always, always a blast to chat with you and can't wait to have you back on Filmstrip. Folks, if you go to filmstrippodcast.com, you'll find links to all of the places you can download our podcast. I encourage you to follow us on social media at filmstrippod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you follow and like our page on Facebook, we started doing something at the end of 2020 here that we're going to carry on and do through 2021. Once a month or so, we're going to do Facebook Lives uh, where we bring on interesting people and fun folks that we've met throughout the year and just have conversation with them and not necessarily do a review but just chit chat about pop culture and stuff that we all like and everything like that so you can you, know, you want to see us in action you can do that um, but definitely uh, encourage you please do listen to the show if you like the show give us a positive review uh, we appreciate it and just spread the word I mean like I said we've been doing the podcast now for 10 years and we've done a little bit of everything at one time or another so it's, it's a lot of fun and we got a lot of fun stuff planned for 2021 I won't, I won't you know suss it all out here now uh, but you know, we we do record we try to record a good bit of stuff in advance and what we've already got in the can for uh, 2021 is is awesome and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun so uh, please do follow us and let us know what you think and once again mike thanks for having me on the show of course jay and as always everyone thanks for listening to the show and we'll see you next time thanks again